Would you take your copy of God's Word and open it to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, this morning we will be looking at verses 41 through 47 as we begin a new series of messages entitled Building a Five-Star Church. And I want to invite you to stand with me as we read this section together. I will read and you follow along in your copy of God's Word. And uh, remember, we're reading from the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the living God. I'm reading in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together, and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You may be seated. Determining the quality of a product or service is not always easy. For this reason, a five-star rating is often used to provide information to customers before they make a purchase. This review system works by adding or subtracting stars based upon the quality of the product or service being offered. For example... If you're staying in a five-star hotel, you can expect a clean and comfortable room as well as a number of other helpful amenities. However, if you're staying in a one-star motel, I would suggest you bring with you your own bed sheets. (laughs) And it wouldn't hurt to take along a gallon of bleach. Evaluating quality and effectiveness is important in all areas of life. This is especially true in regards to the church. How do we know if our church is functioning in a way that is proper? How do we know how to evaluate our effectiveness? Also, how can we ensure that we are going to be strong and healthy as a church in the future? I want to use this series of messages to answer these questions. Of course, our standard of evaluation is none other than the Word of God. Amen? The divine and, 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 and it it is divine and it is infallible and it is without mistake or error. And we are so thankful for God's Word is our standard for faith and practice. And as a result of that, we We use it to evaluate not our personal lives alone, but also our church life. And for this reason, I am going to use Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, the passage we read just a moment ago, as the foundational text for each of these five messages. 
So as we study this passage, we will see that the early church had these five functions that we're going to be looking at from this passage practiced within and among the people of God. And so I want you to take a pencil now or a piece of paper and pen if you have it and write down these five functions. Very important. The first function of a healthy church is worship. The second function is evangelism. The third function is discipleship. The fourth function is ministry. And then finally, the five, the fifth function would be fellowship. These are the five functions that you find in the early church. And, and when you go back to the early church and investigate how they were functioning, you'll find these five functions readily lived out in the lives of the members of those early churches. Any church that is going to be a five-star church must have these functions living out in the life of the congregation. So that's what we want to strive for, right? We want to be a healthy church. Not that we're not healthy now, but we want to stay healthy and we want to continue to get stronger and have a greater influence in our community and our world. So let's begin to look at these five functions of a New Testament church. First of all, we see the participants in worship. And we're looking at the first function, which is a worshiping church. And worship is so important. Let's begin to read now in verse 41. The Bible says, So then those who had received his word were baptized. Let's stop there for just a moment. Here we see the participants in worship. And the Bible speaks about those who had received the word. He's talking about here converted participants, those who had received the word. Well, what word is he talking about? He's speaking about the word that was preached by Peter. If you'll look just prior to this passage we read a moment ago, you will see that Peter preached the word of God. What did he preach? He preached Jesus Christ. Jesus sacrificed on the cross and resurrected from the dead. That was his message. And the Bible says after he preached this message, around 3,000 people came to faith. Wonderful. That is a a tremendous thing, Uh, especially when you consider that just a few weeks before this, this same man who preached boldly here in this passage was afraid and denied that he knew Jesus three times. And one time he even cursed and said, I don't know the man. Remember, as Jesus was being tried, he went through those six different trials before his crucifixion. And Peter, as well as the other disciples, were afraid and they were hiding. They betrayed Jesus. They fled from him. And now here, after the Holy Spirit has descended upon the church to empower the church to proclaim the gospel, you find that Peter is standing in Jerusalem preaching the gospel, and many are saved. These are converted participants. Now, what I want to say to you about this is that in order for you to be a worshiper, you have to be converted. That is, you have to have a relationship with God. Now, you can come into a worship service and enjoy the music, 
You may enjoy the, the preaching and the fellowship, but you cannot truly worship God until your heart has been made alive. The Bible says that we're all spiritually dead. Now that's not good news, is it? We're all spiritually dead before we become believers. But what God does is he quickens our spirit. He brings us to life. He resurrects us from the dead so we can fellowship with him, so that we can worship him. And so these are converted people and they begin to worship God. Not only are they converted participants, but they are connected participants. Look at verse 41 again. So then those who had received his word were baptized. They were baptized. Baptism is one way you are connected to the church. Are you listening to me? If so, say amen. Amen. Baptism is the means whereby we publicly declare our faith. When we're baptized, we're making a public statement that we are now followers of the Lord Jesus. And we're joining in with the local church in expressing that love and loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first act of obedience for the believer is baptism. Now, baptism is not essential for salvation, but it is essential for obedience. When I married Sonia, she gave to me a ring, and I'm wearing a ring now, representing my covenant marriage with my wife. I can remove this ring and I'm still married, but I wear this ring. And when you see it, you know, I'm committed to her. Baptism in a similar way shows the world that we are committed to Christ. Now you don't have to be baptized to be saved, but why wouldn't you want to be baptized if you're saved? And so baptism is the first act of obedience of that converted believer And then it helps you get connected with the other believers in the church because they see that, hey, this person is a follower of Christ. And and there are other ways to get connected as well. Look, if you would, as we continue to read, he says, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Added to the church. And you'll see from this point on that the church is growing exponentially. As you read through the book of Acts, you're seeing thousands of people being brought into the fellowship of faith, and you may wonder, well, why was that church so dynamic? Uh, why were they going out so regularly sharing their faith? Let me give you a little clue as to why. It's because many of them, including the disciples, had witnessed their Savior being nailed to a cross and die, and then be placed in a tomb where the tomb was sealed and guards put at that tomb in order that his body would not be disturbed. And then three days later, they saw this same Jesus come back to life. And I'm telling you, you couldn't hold them back. In addition, the Holy Spirit had descended upon the church, empowering the church to carry out the Great Commission. So they were primed and ready to go. They were functioning as a group of believers, worshiping God and sharing the good news of Christ. So they were connected. Another way, by the way, we get connected in this church is not coming just together to worship God, which is such an important dynamic. 
And I'm so glad you're here to do that this morning. But also it's being involved in the functioning of the church on a daily basis, which is what small groups is all about. And our small groups here we call Sunday school. And uh, my desire is to see everybody involved in a small group. Let me tell you why that's so important. It is so important because that's how you get to know other people in the church. If you just come to a large worship service like this, wonderful. We praise the Lord for that. But I want you to get in a small group so you can get to know the body. You can meet people your own age and you can pray together and and you can care for one another and you can minister together. You can grow together and develop as believers. So getting connected in the church is so essential as a means of worshiping God. And then notice the committed participants we find in verse 42. We read, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were committed to continue studying the word of God and praying daily and partaking of the Lord's Supper. And fellowshipping together. So they were involved in the life of this, of this body. They were committed to God and to one another. It's so important that we see the church not as a place that we just come in and go out of. But we are the church. This building is not the church. This is just a, a place that we come into to stay out of the weather. This building is, is a, a house But we are the true body of Christ, those who gather within the structure. And so we are to be committed to one another as we're committed to the Lord. I'm reminded of what um, the author wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Hebrews. In uh, verses 24 and 25 of chapter 10, he says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking Our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see that day approaching. So he is reminding us of the importance of being involved in the life of the church as an expression of worship. Then we see that these people were captivated participants. Now we're talking about participants in worship. They were captivated participants. Look in verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of all and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Notice that statement, a sense of awe. A sense of awe. That means holy terror. That means respect, a deep respect for God. In other words, they had an appropriate fear of God because they saw God moving in their midst in a, in a miraculous, mighty way. You know, one of the greatest problems in the church today is we no longer fear God. We no longer fear God. Many of us see God as a little buddy that we have when we, we kind of get close to him when we need something. Or we see him as a cosmic Santa Claus or an old grandfather in the sky. Let me tell you who God is. He is almighty, omnipotent, omnipresent. He is all-powerful God. Almighty, all-knowing, all-present God, holy and pure in all of his ways. And he deserves our worship. There is no one and nothing that has ever been made or that exists that deserves worship. 
only one being, and that is the God that we serve. He deserves our all. He deserves our worship. And we are to be committed to him and captivated by his glorious presence in our lives. So we keep feeling this sense of awe, they they said. And and this means that they were standing in awe of this almighty being. You know, we use the word awesome a lot, right? We say, man, that was an awesome pizza. That was an awesome ball game. Or she's awesome. Really, the word awesome is so overused, we, we kind of have lost its meaning. Let me tell you, there's only one really awesome being, and that is God. And we are to worship Him. And then we see they were compassionate participants. Verses 44 and 45, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Notice the togetherness. Do you see that here? The unity that they had, how they were working together and they were harmonious. They were unified. They were functioning as a body. They had laid aside their preferences and they were embracing the mission that God had given to them. And someone will say, well, isn't this communism? They were, they were giving all that they had to other people. No, this is not communism. Communism was when the government takes from someone else to give to them primarily themselves and then spread out the rest. This was a voluntary act where they were responding to God's goodness and seeing that other people had need and they were giving of themselves and giving it away freely so that other people might be supported. And you know, isn't that what a church is supposed to be? Where we look around and we see others in need and we reach out and help them. We help one another. We support one another. We love one another through good times and bad times. That's what we're to be as a church. And that's what many of you are doing, and I commend you for that. You have this compassion for people that you love them and care about them, and you want to meet the needs of people. I've been so encouraged to see how the First Baptist is involved in so many things in the community, where you're helping people who are poor and people who are hungry and needy and people who are struggling with their education and struggling with their marriages and things of that sort. And you're reaching out to students in our schools and, and here at First Academy and, and what you're doing through the mission and carrying out the word of God to our students. And so many things that you are doing as an expression of compassion because you are the body of Christ at work here at First Baptist. We are participants in worship and these are some of the elements that should be present in our lives as we worship the Lord. These are participants. You know, when I was a, just a little boy, I remember my mama used to put out my clothes. So I, when I went to church, I would put on my little suit and I had a little bow tie. I'm telling you, I was really cute. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, what happened? <laughs> this is what happens through time. It doesn't get any better. But when I would come home, she would have my play clothes I was to put on. She'd say, now put, put on your play clothes because the Sunday clothes were my good clothes. But you know, there are many people, many Christians who attempt to worship in the same way. They put on their worship suit when they come to church. And they sing and they listen, they give and maybe even serve. But then they take the worship suit off and they put on their play clothes for the week. 
Friend, that is not what biblical Christianity is about. Worship is not something we can put on and take off like a suit of clothes. It encompasses the totality of who we are as human beings saved by God's grace. We are worshipers. And friend, I'm going to tell you something. You will worship something or someone. You're going to worship. And I want you to know that God has created you to worship. But you want to make sure the one you're worshiping is worthy to be worshipped. And as I've mentioned before, there's only one. And that is God Almighty, the God of the Bible, expressed through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So a five-star church will have a congregation who participates in worship as a lifestyle. Which means that when you leave this place, you worship God. When you're home, you worship God. Everything you do is an expression of worship. Now let's look at the places of worship. Let's go to verse 46. You see public places for worship where the Bible tells us day by day they were continuing with one mind. Notice the one there in the temple. They were, they were worshiping in the temple. Now keep in mind that Jesus was a Jew. His disciples were Jewish. Many of those in this early church were Jews and they were worshiping in the temple and also you could say the synagogues as well. That's where they would gather and they would, they would read the scriptures. Someone would speak about the scriptures. They would sing. They would, they would pray. It was all an expression of worship. Now, as time went on, they were driven from the temple and from the synagogues and persecuted. Because of the message of Jesus. But they were worshiping publicly. Publicly. And that's what, again, that's what you're doing this morning. You have gathered here to worship God. You have gathered here to sing praises to the Lord. And by the way, I love to hear you sing. And when you sing, you need to just lift up your voice as you say, well, I don't have much of a voice. Well, the Bible doesn't say make a good sound to the Lord. It says make a joyful noise to the Lord. You may, the only thing you may have is a holy grunt, but whatever you have, let it make a sound of joy to the Lord because he's worthy of our praise. Amen. So we, we worship the Lord together when we sing together, when we give in the offering plates, we're expressing an act of worship to God. When we preach the word of God, when we listen and when we apply the word of God, we are worshiping the Lord. When we're praying, we're worshiping the Lord. When we're fellowshipping and ministering in the congregation and beyond, we're worshiping the Lord. This is worship as a lifestyle and we do it publicly. But we also worship privately. The Bible says here in this same verse They were breaking bread from house to house and taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Worship is something we also do, not just in the church building, but we do in our homes. As a matter of fact, if you have not worshipped before coming here, it's doubtful you'll worship while here. Here's why, because you're not prepared for it. You've not readied yourself to confront this almighty God. And what happens is we come into a worship context such as this and our minds are so distracted by other things. I would be surprised if, if many of you, if your minds are 
a hundred different places. You're thinking about work this week, a relationship, what's for lunch, mom, and all the other things. You cannot worship with a divided mind. So it's important that through the week we are spending time with God. Some of my most profound worship experiences have been private worship. And what happens is it readies my heart to come into this place and gather with my brothers and sisters in the Lord to lift up the holy name of Jesus Christ. And see, I can get clean. I can get prepared before the Lord before I even arrive at the church house. And let me tell you, isn't it true that Satan's going to do everything he can to trip you up before you get here? You're going to be running late and you're going to have an argument or you'll trip over the cat or all kinds of things may go on. And and by the time you get here, you're so frustrated and then you walk in and we're real pious looking and someone says, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine, dear brother. (laughs) And deep down inside, you're just simmering. But see, we need to take time to come into this place and get our focus, get our bearings so we can worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So worship publicly, yes, but also worship privately before you get here so your heart will be ready to engage in worship. Have you ever tried to hold your breath? I know some of you kids have probably trying to threaten your parents. But I can tell you this, no matter if you travel by land, air, or sea, you're going to have to breathe to live. Did you know that your spiritual life, listen to this now, breathing is necessary for life. In like manner, we cannot afford to go without worship because worship is to our spiritual lives what breathing is to our physical lives. If we're not worshiping God, our focus is not on Him. And if our focus is not on Him, we're going in the wrong direction. And that's why as a church, I want our church to be known as a worshiping church. A church that's focused on the Lord Jesus when they come here. And there's something cleansing and uh, uh, there's something renewing about worshiping the Lord. So worship is so important. Now we've talked about the participants in worship. We've talked about the places of worship. Now let's talk about the priority of worship. We see it is to be a daily priority. Verse 46 tells us they were doing this day by day, continuing with one mind from place to place. So this is something they did every day. If you're under the impression worship only occurs from 10.15 to 11.15, I'm telling you, you've missed it. You don't understand about worship. Worship is something that we should engage in every single day. And the best time to begin your focus is when you open your eyes every morning. Begin to think about how good it is that God has watched through the night over you, taking care of you, enabling you to wake up in the morning. And think about how your day is going to be spent and how you are to devote yourself unto his service. And wherever you go and whatever you do, let Jesus shine forth from your life so you can impact the lives of other people. This is a daily priority, but it's also to be a delightful priority. Look at verse 46. The Bible says that they 
they were breaking their bread from house to house and they were taking their meals together with what? Gladness and sincerity of heart. This was a delightful church. They were excited about serving the Lord. And folks, let me tell you, you and I ought to be excited about coming to this place to worship God. If you're not excited about being here, there's something not right with you spiritually. Now, I can look across this congregation. I know many of you are excited to be here. I can see it in your faces. I can hear it when you sing. And I can, I can witness it when you serve. But we should be delighted that we have the great privilege of serving this awesome, almighty, powerful God. And that he loves us and wants to have a relationship. And it's so easy to major on the minors, isn't it? To get off track spiritually and to begin to focus on something that is not worthy of our attention. I heard the story about this prosperous young investment banker. He had bought him a new BMW sedan and he was driving on a snowy day in the mountains. And he went around this curve. It was a sharp curve and he was losing control of the vehicle. And so to save his life, he was able to unbuckle his seatbelt fling open the car door and jump just before his car goes over the cliff into the ravine. Now, unfortunately, he did not get out of the car without being injured. His left arm got caught by the hinge of the door and ripped it off at the shoulder. A truck driver passing by saw what happened In his rearview mirror, he turned around and went back and got out to see if he could help. What he found was this young banker standing there crying, looking down at his sedan. And he was saying, my BMW, my BMW. And the truck driver said, "Uh, sir, listen, you got a bigger problem than that car down there. Look at your arm. It's gone. So he looked where his arm was supposed to be and he saw that it was off at the shoulder and he started crying, oh no, my Rolex, my Rolex. (laughs) There are many Christians like that young banker. We are majoring on things that are minor. We have failed to prioritize the things that really matter in life. Worship is not just A priority, it is the priority. A five-star church prioritizes worship. And then we see the product of worship. What happens when we truly worship God? Let's look and see. You'll see it in verse 47. We will become a glowing church. And again, when I say we will become, I'm not suggesting that you're not a great church now. You are. And I'm thankful for the leadership in the past and And where the Lord has taken you. But folks, we're not satisfied where we are. We want to move forward and we want to see God do greater things than he's ever done in this church and through this church. Amen? Is that why you come here to First Baptist? Don't you want to see God do something great and grand? Something that you can't explain? Something that that you would never even thought to be possible? But God is able to intervene and use this church here in Douglas, Georgia of all places to do mighty things here locally and around the world. Well, we are to be a glowing church. Verse 47 says they were praising God and having noticed this favor with all the people. This tells me that they were an influential church. 
They were impacting their culture. Do you think our culture needs to be impacted today as we look around in our midst and we see our community, we see our state and our nation, and we wonder what is happening to our world? Let me tell you, one of the greatest problems in our country today is that our churches are anemic and the pulpits are silent. I say to you at First Baptist, it's time that the church be the church. That we be the people God has called us to be, and we need to be a glowing representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it not true that Jesus said, you are the light of the world? A city that is set up on top of a hill cannot be hidden. We are that city. We are that light because Christ indwells us. And as we shine for his glory, we're going to be a glowing church. And we're going to shine the light of his gospel in the streets of Coffee County and these homes in our region and among families and students all across this land as we walk in obedience to the Lord. This is the product of worship. Because when you've been close to God in worship, it will transform the way you live. And it will impact the people's lives around you. And then we're to be a going church. Verse 47 again. And the Lord was adding to their number. Notice this now. Day by day. Did you catch that? Not just on a Sunday morning. See, there are many people who think that people are saved because they wake up one morning and think, you know, I think I'm going to go to church today. And they go down to a Bible preaching church. And they hear a sermon and they say, you know, I I need to be saved. And they get saved. Now, some people get saved that way. I'm thankful for that. But folks, let me tell you, God's intent is for people not just to be saved on a Sunday morning who happen to find their way to church. And most people don't. God's desire is for God's people to go out of the church building into the streets of Coffee County, this whole region, and share the gospel Of the Lord Jesus Christ with people who have not heard the good news. You say, well, well, pastor, let me tell you. I think everybody in Coffee County has heard about Jesus. I think most of them probably have heard Jesus. But I can guarantee you, and I've been a pastor now for over 30 years. I guarantee you, ask the average person in the streets of Douglas, Georgia, how a person can be saved. And here's what they'll tell you. They'll say, well, you have to be good. You have, to, you have to keep the commands of God. If you're a good person, and they'll tell you about works. It's a works mentality to salvation. I'm telling you what the Bible says is that our salvation is not a, a result of works, but it is the result of, of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we express faith in Christ, we receive His grace. You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of your works. It is a gift of God, not of, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we will be a going church. Just think about how when we're dispersed in a little while, how many different places we will scatter. And you're shining Jesus wherever you go. You're showing him. You're going into the streets of Douglas and telling people about Jesus. And we're a growing church. Verse 47, he says... Uh, uh, and those who were added to the number day by day, those were, who were being saved. 
The church was growing. As I mentioned earlier, when you read through the book of Acts, you see uh, there's 3,000 here and 5,000, then 10,000. The church is just exploding in growth. Folks, we're praying that God will do that here at First Baptist. I told you before, I'm praying, God, would you send us at least 500 people in the next two years that we'll be averaging in, in Sunday school? And 750 people in five years and at least a thousand in ten years. Now listen, if God does greater than that, I will rejoice. But can't we at least pray for that? 12,000 people in Douglas, 80% of them go to no one's church. We have a harvest field before us to reach people. And the product of true worship is once we've had an encounter with the Lord, we want to go out and tell somebody about it. Can you imagine going to see some great dignitary, maybe the president or governor or hero of yours? Would you leave that encounter and not tell someone about it? Let me tell you what you would do. You'd get out the cell phone. You'd take a photo and you would put it on Facebook or Instagram. Isn't that true? Don't look so spiritual. You'd do that. I'm sure you would do that. I, I already, I'm friends with many of you. I know we all do that, don't we? But how can we say we've had an encounter with the resurrected Christ and walk out of this place and not tell somebody about it? Folks, when we have had a worship experience... We're going to leave this place and we're going to let people know it. They will know that we have been with Jesus. Building a five-star church requires worship. A church can experience excitement, fun, and innovation and still fail to worship God. I heard about a little boy after attending church one Sunday morning. He knelt beside his bed that night and prayed and said this, Dear God, we had a good time at church today. I sure wish you could have been there. Every week there are churches all over our nation. They meet and enjoy the music, the message, and the ministry. But God is nowhere to be found. Let me tell you why. Because the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. God inhabits the praises of his people. And friend, we as believers are his people. And it's time for us to praise the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are making us into a stronger church day by day. Father, you have brought these people here this morning. They are precious people in your sight. You brought them here to hear a message about the importance of worship in this church. One of the functions of a healthy church is dynamic worship. And Father, we want to be worshipers that will be pleasing unto you. Not just on a Sunday morning. Not just every time we meet. But every single day we live. We pray that we will honor you in all these things. And may we be known as a worshiping church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.